My name is Haley, and you're listening to the Beauty From Brokenness podcast. I'm a mom, wife, and blogger. In my life before kids, I was in event planning, dance coaching, small group leading, church going socialite who had it all together. But simultaneously, I was partying, people pleasing, past processing, sad and lonely on the inside. When I became a mom, being home alone with my thoughts, a baby and no schedule just about broke me. But God had other plans. And with his help, I began to take giant steps into becoming a new version of myself that was better than I ever could have imagined. In this podcast, you can expect to hear just about everything from faith to friendship to failure and what I've learned. The goal? To become better versions of ourselves today than we were yesterday. Welcome to another episode in the Beauty From Brokenness podcast. I'm so glad that you're here. If we were sitting across from each other at a table right now, I would grab your hands and tell you how grateful I am to have you with me. In the last episode, we talked about what I think is one of the most pertinent elements of a woman's life, her friends. We talked about the disease of people-pleasing and what my recovery from it looked like. And if you missed that one, I highly recommend hopping over there first to check it out. So I gave some pretty... Um, clear warning signs of knowing when you are a people pleaser, as well as how to watch out for toxicity in relationships and what my life without people pleasing has begun to look like. And now I want to talk about what those healthy relationships and friendships should look like. So maybe you found those really quality relationships in your life. And if you're like me, then maybe they're so wonderful that now you're petrified of screwing them up. (laughs) Do you ever feel like you're walking on eggshells with girls? analyzing your words, interpreting her text messages, wondering uh, how much you can actually disclose. If so, this episode is for you. So in Matthew 22, we can see that the most important thing that Jesus tells us to do is to love God. But the second thing he tells us to do, the second most important thing is to love one another. And what I want to know is if our relationship with others comes Second, only to our relationship with God, then why don't we take them as seriously as we do some of the things that we sign contracts for? So we sign employment contracts, we sign gym membership contracts, we apply for and sign marriage licenses, but nothing for friendship. There isn't a class or a degree or paperwork out there that we even adhere to when it comes to this second greatest commandment for our lives. No contract means unclear expectations. And in my world, unclear expectations means exhaustion and frustration. My relationships with women up until the past few years have always been complicated at best. I have never won by being fake and people-pleasing, but nor have I won by being brutally honest. And losing friends is certainly not something that anyone wants to have happen. So what's a girl to do? I sat down and really thought this one through. What would it have taken for me to actively prevent some of the falling outs that have happened in my life or in my friends' lives? How could I be a better friend going forward? I started with how I would want to be treated. I looked at what God had to say about it, and then I wrote up a contract. My friendship contract was designed based on the insecurities that we as women have concocted. It's guidelines for a relationship, not in dating, but in friendship. It takes the guessing out of the game and analyzing out of the conversation. So no more worrying about 
whether or not we said the right thing, whether or not we were talked about while we were absent, or wondering if we're loved. I wish I could hear all of your friendship stories because I know that you have them too. And I know that in the heart of every woman is this desire to be loved and to be accepted, to have this vast network of support, true, unquestionable, unwavering, unconditional support. I was actually talking about this with some girlfriends the other night. We were discussing how even with a healthy marriage or even with a healthy mother-daughter relationship or whoever else that you have been blessed to have in your life, there really is no substitute for that moment when you connect with a friend. It doesn't even really need to be someone you're similar to, I've learned. It's, you know, some of my favorite friendships are the ones that I almost ruled out because of my naive assumption that we wouldn't have anything in common. And man, would I have been missing out if I had judged some of the books by their covers. Anyway, it is just a little piece of heaven on earth when we hear those words, me too, or I completely understand. In that regard, friends make or break the quality of our lives. I think they're worth the effort. So I know that an actual contract for friends sounds pretty silly. And I don't have any intention of actually mailing this thing out to my friends. But I think the intention behind it is so cool. It's like, here's you and here's me. We're both interested in maximizing our experiences. And while nothing can prevent a little conflict, this thing signifies that we're going to try our hardest for the sake of one another. It's a beautiful thing. This contract isn't something that I think we should hand out to anyone we meet on the street and decide to be friends with. I think that it should be for friends, new or old, who meet criteria of being mindful, reciprocal, selfless relationships. Friends who have earned our respect and deserve our trust. Uh, These people don't set conditions and they don't play mind games. If you have people that still do things like that in your life, please go listen to my People Pleaser episode before continuing on. (laughs) So maybe your friendship contract would look like mine. Maybe it would look a little different. But like I just said, the goal is just to inspire us to be more intentional in all of our friendships. So here we go. If I had a contract that I was going to hand out to my friends, the top line would read something like this. Dear friend, If you're reading this, it's because you're someone I greatly love and respect. I know that you're a wise woman hoping to grow and become better and that you wish the same for me. You're someone I'm inspired by and someone that I see in my future. Trust you. I will invest precious time in our relationship. You're someone worth fighting for. And here are the bullet points. So number one, I'll tell you the truth. The pastor at my old church, um, Pastor Bob Merritt, once told us that there are wise people and there are fools. And he went on to say that wise people want correction. They want feedback. They want to read and grow and learn and better themselves every single day. I found a verse about this, Proverbs 13, 20. He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. Fools don't want correction. They don't want to know the ways in which they're disappointing other people, and they are not interested in improvement. I used to be a fool. (laughs) 
I distinctly remember back in my people-pleasing days, I once told someone that I would rather hear a sugar-coated lie about myself than the ugly truth. I remember that I didn't welcome feedback because I was in such a state of pain that I wasn't in a position where I wanted to learn or grow or change. I was just trying to maintain course and maintain um, survival. I told myself I wasn't a fan of the self-improvement books and that that just wasn't my personality and that any friends I lost along the way, well, they just must not have been my people. And today those self-help books still aren't really my jam, but self-improvement is. Thriving and setting goals and having things to hope for in my life? Absolutely necessary. I want to be wise. I know that for all of us, it's hard to hear the ugly truth sometimes. But if you find yourself, you know, too at capacity to take on any self-improvement, or too full of pain to manage critique coming in from others, or if you find yourself running away the minute a relationship gets hard, quick time out. So not welcoming truth into your life is a sign that you've got pain that needs to be addressed. And it's so worth dealing with because you're probably missing out on the friends, the marriage, the purposes that God wants to bring into your life. So my advice is take time to heal. Talk to a counselor. Get to know God. Get to know God until you desire wisdom. Get to know him until you want to become more like him. And once that happens, you'll start to love others like he does. Get so much of God in your heart that you want to know the truth. So the truth in friendship is huge. The truth sees weakness and still accepts us for who we are. Truth cares enough to fight through this discomfort and help the other person grow. Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. As a recovering people pleaser, I'm always going to struggle to tell the absolute truth, especially when it's hard. <laughs> the last thing I want to do is ruffle feathers. But if I know I need to speak up and I know I need to be the one to tell a friend something, I will. It might take me a while, but I'll say it, especially if I've prayed about it. God usually gives me the exact entrance that I need to speak up in a conversation. And if I'm really being stubborn, he'll drop hints on me like a ton of bricks until I have the conversation. So bullet point number one, I'll tell you the truth. Bullet point number two, I'll be there. You won't have to ask me to show up to support you at something important. If I am able to, I will be there. I included this one because I've seen so many friends almost scramble to get other friends to attend something of theirs. Almost like they're in a panic to make sure that someone will be there or that enough people will be there. If you have to scramble to get someone to attend something for you, stop asking. The right friends will just be there. A great example of this was um, at a time when I was speaking at a women's event and it was an hour away on a very cold and icy day this last winter, I wouldn't have dreamt of asking anyone to be there. And yet I showed up and there they were. And I'm not saying it's going to happen perfectly like this every time, but the right friends will just be there. Number three, I'll celebrate you. 
Oh, I love this one. I can't wait to acknowledge you and your strengths, and I can't wait to celebrate the light that you bring into the world. Strong people can celebrate strong people because they recognize that God has given every single one of us unique gifts and talents and passions, and there's more than enough of all of it to go around. Good friends don't need to compare or compete or convince someone else of their worth. I can't wait to celebrate you. Number four, I will respect your boundaries, your schedule, and your time. Sometimes being a friend means being there for someone, but sometimes it also means giving space. Part of being a good friend to me means always doing what's best for the other person versus myself. So showing up in her life where she actually needs me versus using her to fill my empty spaces or free time. So I'm a mom of littles, and as many of you know, my capacity to get out of the house is so greatly diminished right now, and I need my friends to understand those changes and respect them, which they do. Now, on the flip side, I think friends can also push us in healthy ways. Here's a great example of that. So I work out, (laughs) even though... I can always be convinced to do nachos and wine versus running. I mean, it just depends on the day, I guess. But also, um, getting up at 5 a.m. is not my favorite thing either. But I have this girlfriend who is the most disciplined person I know. And she happens to get up every day at 5 a.m. and run. Periodically, she asks me to join her. And she does this knowing that it's going to get me up earlier than my usual routine. But she also knows that I'm not going to be able to keep up with her and that I'm definitely going to slow us down and that we'll have to walk several times while I shamelessly catch my breath. This friend also knows that exercise is good for my body. She knows that our time invested in one another is good for my soul. And she knows the days that I'm up early to run with her always wind up being my favorite days of all. So this is an excellent example of the type of push that I want on my boundaries. Because I lived through a period of time where I truly tried to be everywhere for everyone, I also know what it's like to have your boundaries pushed in an unhealthy way. And for that reason, my friends will never catch me pushing them to do something if I feel like it's going to overwhelm them. I always give the option for them to say no and vice versa. Number five, I am reliable. This one's an easy one. So because I try not to make the mistake of overcommitting these days, Typically, once I do commit to something, I follow through. Number six, if I'm giving you this contract, it means you never have to doubt. You won't have to wonder how I really feel or if I've changed my mind. My friends know that I'm terrible with the phone. This is largely due to being a mom, and I don't know about you, but it's also due to the fact that I never wear jeans. Like, ever. And leggings don't have pockets, and the phone can only go in your waistband or your bra for so long. So I'm guilty of leaving the phone in another room for hours on end. I should just buy a fanny pack or something. Anyway, a friend of mine and I had arranged for her to drop her daughter off one day to play with my son, and she was going to go run some errands. So my friend texted me to say that they were on their way from their house, and I immediately ran outside to set up the pool and water the flowers and grab the mail. In the meantime, 
they never showed up. My son and I waited and waited, and finally I went in the house to check my phone, only to see that the friend had texted me multiple times. Just leaving the house, she said. And there, then there was one that said, be there soon. And the next one said, sound good? Question mark. Followed by, if you've changed your mind, it's totally okay. And then nothing. They still hadn't shown up at this point. So I texted her as quickly as my fingers could type. Yes, it's totally fine. No, I haven't changed my mind. Please bring her over. I'm just a crazy woman running around the yard without my phone. I could not type those words fast enough to convey the reassurance that I desperately wanted her to have. And she did wind up dropping her kiddo off that day, but she had to backtrack from wherever they'd been going because she had honestly assumed that I changed my mind and our plans were off. When I finally saw this friend in person, I told her, just so you know, if I say I want to hang out, there won't be any changing in my mind because I wouldn't commit in the first place unless I truly wanted to see you. We as women are so used to having to analyze what each message from one another means that we never actually take each other's words for what they're supposed to mean. It blows my mind. And this leads really nicely into the next bullet point. So number seven, not only will you never have to doubt me, my communication will never need to be interpreted. Silence is not a tool that I will use to communicate anger or resentment. I may totally drop the ball and forget to answer a text for three days. But that's just mom brain, and you have my permission to call, text again, show up at my door if that's the case. But I want you to know without a doubt that silence will never equate to my being mad. Neither does a lack in punctuation or a lack of emojis in my text. If I go to dinner with someone or I post a picture that you're not in, I'm not mad. And if I'm upset about something, I promise, promise, promise to tell you. It might take a little beating around the bush coming from me, but I'll tell you. And I won't leave you guessing based on my behavior. Isn't that refreshing? Number eight, I won't judge you. Oh, judgment is definitely something that we can feel. I feel it even from people that I love very much sometimes. I don't know if it's something that comes from our upbringing or just a place of pride or what, but we all judge. We may have different lives, you and I, the friends we choose, our backgrounds, how we look, where or how much we work or don't work, the way that we view and manage our marriages, our bodies, fitness or no fitness, how we raise our kids, screen time or no screen time, homemade baby food or fast food fries. We may do each and every one of these things very differently. But if you're entering into this friendship thing with me, it means you're someone I've selected to be my friend because I trust your judgment. I know your heart. And that means the areas where we differ aren't areas worth judging. They're just differences. There's enough judgment in this world. We don't need to judge each other too. Number nine. This one has three parts. I'll listen, I'll be genuine, and I'll be present. Something I've learned over the years, people sense genuine. I don't know about you, but I am painfully aware of people's feelings. I know right away when someone's tired or stressed or not being genuine with me. I think a lot of us do. 
And I think a big culprit is time. We're always so distracted and in such a hurry that we put on our, how are you? Well, I'm fine. I'm doing well. I'm busy. Pat in these conversations with each other. And then we move along with our day. I love the quote by Shauna Nyquist. My regrets? How many years I bruised people with my fragmented, anxious presence. How many moments of connection I missed. Too busy, too frantic, and too strung out on the drug of efficiency. (sighs) Type A people, anyone? Small talk is nice. It's pleasant, but it's not connecting. And it's not genuine. I'm guilty. I do the rushed conversation thing all the time. But sometimes, and that sometimes is becoming more and more of the time, I try to take a moment and breathe. And then I look at the person I'm speaking to. And I think, how does she feel? Does she have any trace of sadness in her eyes? Or are they full of light and happiness right now? What is she saying? Am I really hearing and processing what she's trying to communicate to me right now? How can I come alongside her and show her that she's loved? And if I'm really in the right state of mind, I'll ask myself, how can I show her Jesus? In a way that it isn't something that needs to come back to me, but it's in a way that's directly pointing her towards him. And then I ask questions. Lots of questions. No one wants to hear about me. I want to find out about her. And when the questions do come my way, I'm trying my best to give genuine, real answers. I'm going to wait a minute and I'm probably going to make us late to the next thing because I'm going to stay back and really choose to connect. God designed us to connect, not to run around like these crazy people with domineering schedules. By the way, my husband and I have made some significant changes over the past couple of years, and I can't wait to do a podcast on minimizing, minimizing everything. <laughs> okay, so bullet point nine, I'll listen, I'll be genuine, and I'll be present. On to the last one, number 10. As my friend, you will be loved, you'll be thought about, and you'll be prayed for. This is really where minimizing and prioritizing our relationships come into play. I do not have the capacity to care like I want to if my group becomes too large. It just isn't possible. I literally have a list on my phone or in my journal of friends, people that I'm praying for, people that I want the best for in their lives, in their families, people I pray for protection over their marriages for, but most importantly, their walk with God. I pray that they would desire God and that he would show up in their lives in big, real ways that they would recognize as him. I want a heartfelt friend who will make mistakes, but who will also have the mercy to forgive mine. I want someone who's going to tell me the truth. I want someone who can't always be there because that's life. But when she does commit, she shows up. And I want someone who will talk about the real things and pray for me and challenge me and push me closer to God. Don't you? And if she's someone in my life who maybe isn't doing those things, well, then I want to help her get there. I want to be a good example. I want her to sense that there's something drastically different about our friendship. 
something that maybe is going to extend into eternity. I want her to have God's peace more than anything. Because I know what a difference it's made in my own life. And if I neglected to tell her, I would be robbing her of life's greatest joy. I know that there's no such thing as a perfect friendship on this side of eternity, but that doesn't mean we can't strive for the best. I love this from Romans 12. Be devoted to one another in love. That's what the bottom of my contract would say. Be devoted to one another in love. Sincerely, your friend Haley. I hope that this was helpful for you. I hope you know how worthy you are of good friendships in your life. And I hope that you and your friends understand the value of putting forth intentional effort. Love is a choice and it's an action and it's so worth it. It's what we were made to do. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast so that you know what's coming next. And remember, you're loved. You're so, so loved. Thanks for listening and have a great day. 